with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 72nd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is technology audits of your law firm by your clients. Sharon and I are happy to welcome as our guest, our friend and recent co-presenter, Andrew Perlman, a professor at Suffolk University Law School, where he teaches professional responsibility and civil procedure and is the director of the Institute on Law Practice Technology and Innovation. Professor Perlman was also the chief reporter for the ABA Commission on Ethics 2020, which successfully proposed numerous changes to the model rules of professional conduct and related ABA policies to address ethics issues arising from the globalization and technological change. Professor Perlman has authored a number of articles about legal ethics and, since 2008, has co-authored the widely used student textbook, Regulation of Lawyers, Statutes, and Standards, along with Stephen Gillers and Roy Simon. He is also a co-contributor to a legal ethics blog, www.legalethicsforum.com, which has been named three times by the American Bar Association Journal as one of the top 100 law-related blogs in the country. Welcome, Andy. Well, thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, to get us started, Andy, let's talk about the genesis of this legal technology audit. Who created the original idea? Well, it's the brainchild of Casey Flaherty. He's a corporate counsel at Kia Motors America. And basically what he found in dealing with his outside counsel is that they weren't doing a particularly good job using the technological tools that were available to them. And I don't mean fancy stuff. I mean things like using Word uh, appropriately or using Excel and knowing how to manipulate a spreadsheet. So what he did uh, was he decided to see how well they knew this stuff. So he created an audit where he would uh, go out to uh, his outside counsel and ask them to perform kind of basic technological tasks using uh, this kind of software. And what he found is that uh, on average, the lawyers were taking five times as long as it should take a reasonably competent person to perform the same tasks using that technology. So it was a a pretty eye-opening finding for him. Well, uh, I I saw some of that report, and and really the idea of using associates to scan Word Word documents to create PDF files, that was great for the billable hour, I guess. But what was the real need uh, behind this audit? Well, the need uh, at the end of the day was once he discovered how how much time lawyers were taking on these tasks, uh, he wanted to use the audit more widely um, and really to incentivize lawyers to be more efficient and, and learn how to use these tools more effectively. And the reality is, I think you just put your finger on it, Jim, is that the billable hour uh, is not the best way to incentivize lawyers to do things in the most efficient way possible. And I think Casey really understood that, uh, and that was one of the reasons that he developed uh, this audit and why there was a real need for it. Well, it's it's uh, scaring a lot of law firms. Every time we give a presentation and talk about that, law firms, their their mouths drop, they look like they're catching flies. So. T- tell, tell us, Andy, what your role is in this. 
So our role is to take Casey's audit and to automate it. That's somewhat ironically, the way that Casey went about doing this, and he would openly acknowledge this, was it was a little bit uh, counter to what you would expect for somebody who was doing a digital or legal tech audit. And that is he would fly out to his outside counsel um, and go to their office and pretty much with a stopwatch, see how long it would take them to perform certain tasks. And that's how he conducted the audit. And so what he wanted to do was partner with um, somebody else who could take the insights behind the audit and automate it, put it up online and provide an easier way for corporate counsel or clients uh, more generally to test the competence uh, of the lawyers they work with. So he reached out to us, uh, and we are taking the lead on automating the audit and then enhancing it with additional topics beyond what he um, used in his version of the audit. And and we're just uh, generally coordinating the administration of it. So we're taking on a number uh, of roles in this. And one of the reasons that uh, he reached out to us uh, was because we have this Institute on Law Practice Technology and Innovation at Suffolk Law School. Uh, and so we're already thinking about the various ways in which technology is transforming the legal profession. And so he thought we'd be a good partner. And he also liked the idea of partnering with uh, an educational institution, because I think at the end of the day, what Casey hopes to achieve and, and what we hope to achieve uh, is a real educational function. That is, to really have a transformative effect in the legal industry uh, it, there's not a real profit motive here. It's really designed to encourage and incentivize lawyers to do more in terms of learning about uh, uh, various tools that are available to them. Andy, I can hear some of the responses already. I just want to practice law. Why do I have to know all this technology stuff? Shouldn't you test the legal administrators and the uh, legal staff rather than the lawyers? Sure. I think there are a few responses to that. First of all, the, you know, what the practice of law is today is it involves so much uh, technology and an understanding of so much technology that I think it would be a mistake for lawyers to stick their heads in the sand and say, we really don't need to, to know about this stuff. You know, I've got three kids and sometimes when they don't want to hear something, they just put their hands over their ears and, <laughs> and they refuse to hear what we're saying. Uh, and I think if lawyers say they don't need to learn this stuff, that it, it's kind of a similar uh, reaction, and it, it would be unfortunate. And the point about uh, administrators or illegal admins doing this, the reality in, in many law firms today, perhaps most, is that they're becoming leaner, and there are fewer admins and staff who can do this kind of work. Or even um, sometimes lawyers don't want to take the time to explain the nature of a particular assignment. It might not be a big deal. Uh, to convert something to PDF and the amount of time that it takes to explain it to somebody else, uh, the lawyer could do it uh, him or herself, or doesn't trust the ad- ad- admin to do it the right way, or given a time crunch, it really has to be done right now, or it's after hours and there simply aren't admins around. Uh, and so I think at the end of the day, the reality is that lawyers already do this stuff and bill for it. And I think the other uh, response uh, is that if it's true that administrative personnel or staff at a particular law firm are performing these tasks, then I think Casey has already said, and I agree with him, then let's test those people. Uh, Because the reality is that many of those non-lawyers at many firms are being billed out for their time. uh, And so we should make sure that they're doing their work as efficiently as they possibly can. So I hear you. It would be great if all lawyers could do is write briefs or draft documents and didn't have to worry about this stuff. Uh, but the reality is that they do. Well, I don't think anybody who who knows would disagree with you, but I know that the uh, people who manage large law firms in particular are not going to be happy about this audit. (laughs) No, I'm sure they won't be, and and they haven't been. 
but I think uh, for far too long, firms of all sizes have really ignored this stuff at their, at their peril. And I think going back to, to what Jim mentioned at the beginning it's about the billable hour, I think is in large part responsible for this. If law firms uh, made more money, if they were as efficient as possible, that would, uh, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Lawyers would have been trained up a long time ago. So um, I think that's uh, just the reality. You know, I just saw today, uh, I got in the mail the new ABA journal, and I saw it has a, a really intriguing kind of picnic red and white checkerboard cover and a big plate on it. And it says who, something like, who's eating the law firm's lunch? And that's really their point, is that there are people in the legal services area that are now providing some of what law firms used to provide, things like document review, um, because they can they can create a much leaner, meaner machine to do it, and the clients are forcing them to do that. So I think you're right. A lot of this stuff is transforming, Andy. Yeah, and that's a great article for anybody who is listening to this podcast and has not seen that article. I highly recommend it. I mean, I think it really nicely illustrates why lawyers need to become more sophisticated and, and become, as you just said, Sharon, more leaner and meaner, because if they don't, somebody else is going to eat your lunch, and it's not necessarily going to be a traditional law firm. There are lots of other players out there, and if law firms want to compete with them, uh, they really need to find ways to become more efficient, and technology is, is a big piece of that. I'm reminded that when the reInvent Law Conference took place in Silicon Valley, I didn't get to go, but I'm reminded that over half of the attendees were not lawyers. Uh, so what do you hope to achieve by this project? Well, I think one uh, big uh, hope is that we will just incentivize more lawyers to work more efficiently and effectively with the, the technology they already have available to them. So we're not looking to change the world, and I don't think we have any illusions that um, some major transformation is going to take place as a result of this audit. But if it even incentivizes uh, more lawyers to, to do their work more efficiently and, and use the tools that they already have available to them more effectively, then I think that would be terrific. Um, and then, you know, to the extent that it's also incentivizing uh, law firms to rethink the billable hour, uh, that would be great too. And, and I think that this technology audit really does put, um, put in the spotlight uh, some of the downsides of, of the billable hour framework. I still think, you know, there will be plenty of reasons to use billable hours in certain contexts, but um, it forces lawyers to, to think more critically about that uh, feature of the way that law firms deliver their services. I think that would be uh, a real achievement as well. You know, somebody's going to put your face on a dartboard, Andy. No, oh, I'm sure <laughs> my students already do that, Sharon. Ah, <laughs> uh, gee, I was unoriginal in the thought. Sorry. Um, let, let us go ahead and take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. 
Today we're talking to Professor Andy Perlman of Suffolk University Law School about technology audits of your law firm by your clients. So who's going to be able to participate in these audits, Andy? At least initially, it's going to be corporate clients. And so what we're envisioning is that uh, a corporation, a general counsel of a company, uh, will want to test the competency, the technological competence of either other lawyers working inside the general counsel's office or their outside counsel. Uh, and so the general counsel will say, you know, we want uh, our lawyers and our outside lawyers to take this audit uh, so that we can get a sense of how well they're using the technology that they have. Um, and so um, at first, it's going to be available to them, and they'll get to choose who gets to take it. So it won't be uh, targeted directly to uh, lawyers and law firms themselves. It will really be there for the most part, corporate clients. But we hope that it, uh, in the end, uh, that this will be uh, made widely available and, and publicly available for all lawyers who really want to test their skills. But at least initially, we want it to be available to corporate clients uh, and that they could use it to audit their outside counsel. And, and we think that that initial way of doing it will provide the necessary incentives for um, lawyers to figure this stuff out. When when are you anticipating that it might be ready? We're working on a beta version. We're calling it a pilot right now. Um, and we're hoping the pilot version of the audit will be available uh, in the beginning part of 2014, so in a few more months. And, um, and we'll, we'll select a limited number of uh, corporate clients to try this out, uh, either in-house or with their outside counsel. I also hope to use it uh, with some of our students. Um, so that they can get exposed to the basic technologies that they will be expected to know how to use in practice. So that will happen at the beginning of 2014. And then, um, and, and in part, the reason that we want to pilot is there are all sorts of technical and administrative details of trying to get this thing to work the right way when you put it up on the internet uh, and using a learning management uh, tool and LMS. Uh, and so, we need to work out all of those details. Uh, and of course, whenever you get into technology, it, it can be your friend and your foe. So before we go live and using it with you know, hundreds of potential clients, we want to make sure that that's squared away. And, and then we hope to, to expand it uh, over the course of 2014, add new components to it, and allow more people to use it. So a, a fuller version, um, I'm hoping, will be online uh, by this time next year. Well, what will it cost? We're hoping that it will cost nothing, uh, and we would like to make this available for free. Suffolk is putting uh, some of its uh, resources behind this, but we're also looking for sponsors. So uh, we're hoping that uh, corporations will stand behind us and, and be able to contribute to this effort. But we've also gotten uh, contributions from uh, developers, uh, training companies that develop these kinds of resources for their clients uh, who have been willing to donate their um, their content, uh, as well as their tools for, for training and for testing. And so right now, the company that's working with us on developing uh, the pilot is Capensis, uh, and they do a lot of uh, training uh, and education in the law firm space. And so they've graciously uh, agreed to donate uh, some of their efforts to, to this cause for the pilot. But we're hoping that uh, in the future, and as a result of conversations I already have, I, I know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that this will happen that other companies will also be willing to contribute some of their resources in terms of developing uh, content. So um, at the end of the day, the hope is that it can remain free if we get enough people who are willing to donate their time and energy to this. 
Uh, and to the extent that we do have more expenses because we're rolling this out to a lot of people, uh, that corporations and, and clients who are ultimately going to benefit from using this will uh, help us out by sponsoring the, the various parts of the audit. Well, as you will recall, Andy, when we were sitting down to that marvelous seafood dinner wherever we were, West Virginia, I think. Um, yes, it was. <laughs> um, I looked you in the eye and I said, Andy, they'll figure out how to cheat on this thing. They will figure it out. Either they'll learn about what's on the audit or the, the outside law firm that wants to look good will find a way to have somebody give them an assist. They'll find some way to cheat. So how, how do you respond to that? I guess I would say I'd love for it to be taken that seriously, that people would want to cheat. Um, but actually, more seriously, I actually think it would be wonderful in another sense, and in a real sense. It means that lawyers are going to take the time to learn how to do this stuff, right? So if, if a lawyer learns that what's going to be on this audit is how to use Outlook to find a particular email in a crowded inbox, and then the lawyer goes out and learns how to do it before taking the test, uh, that's great. That's exactly the point of the audit. In fact, we plan on releasing a basic description of the kinds of tasks that we're going to be asking lawyers to be able to do. I mean, it's a little bit like when you think about the bar exam. Uh, before you take the bar exam, you're pretty much told the content that's going to be on the exam. You know, it's going to be torts and constitutional law, or you're going to have to write essays maybe about commercial paper, and then you go and study it. And so the idea of learning what's going to be on the test in advance kind of focuses you in the right way of learning the kinds of things that you're supposed to learn. If the audit has that uh, effect and lawyers hear that what we're testing is X, Y, and Z, and then they go learn how to do X, Y, and Z, I say mission accomplished. That's not cheating. That's studying. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So how can people get more involved to get more information? Well, I'd love for people to reach out to me. So if, you know, if it's a training company and, and they are uh, testing lawyers uh, in various ways and they want to contribute to this uh, audit, please uh, get in touch with me. Uh, we'd love to have you help. If people are, are inside law firms, and I've heard from a number of people already who fit this description, and they, providing, they provide training to lawyers in their own firms or to administrators and staff in their own firms, and they want to share some insights about what they do and what should be on the audit, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, Even better than reaching out to me, although I'd certainly welcome the emails, uh, is that we've created a crowdsourcing site. Uh, It's at www.legaltechaudit.com. And and we're looking for people to just leave on that site various ideas for what this audit should contain. Again, we're not trying to hide the ball. We really want people to tell us what are the key technologies that lawyers should know how to use and what specific things should lawyers be able to do when using those technologies. So I think, and then of course, uh, corporate clients, to the extent that they want to be a beta tester, they want to use it in the future, uh, it'd be great to hear from them. Even better if they want to help sponsor it by throwing some money behind it. So there are all sorts of ways for people to get involved, but I would say the the two is get in touch with me uh, about ideas uh, uh, for what should be in the audit and, and the crowdsourcing site. I think to the extent that people want to leave uh, ideas up there, then it's a benefit for everyone because lawyers and clients can look there for, um, for their own conclusions and their own ideas about what it is that lawyers should be able to do today. Well, I know that just having spent some time with you, Andy, you're a tremendous innovator and truly a futurist in thinking about some of this stuff. So 
I, I remember when we had that dinner and then we were so tired, we said we we're going to go right to bed and you and I ended up emailing each other for the next two hours <laughs> yes. trying to solve a problem. So uh, <laughs> as, as one geek to another, I know you're working on some other stuff. What else are you working on these days? Yes, well, I'm going to be a walking billboard here for Suffolk Institute on Law Practice Technology and Innovation because we're really trying to do a, a lot of stuff. And, and I'd like to think of myself as an innovator, but I've been inspired by a lot of different people. We had Richard Susskind at Suffolk uh, earlier this year, gave a very inspiring talk, and a number of law schools around the country, not as many, I think, as they sh- there should be, but a number of law schools have been uh, trying to be more innovative, uh, reinvent law at Michigan State and Law Without Walls uh, at Miami, Vermont Law School. There are uh, a number of law schools that are trying to, to do a-, a lot in this area. But uh, the reality is, at the end of the day, not too many, not as many as there should be. I, I was really stunned. Uh, we got this institute off the ground, I guess it was in March or April of this year. And four months later, we were listed as one of the top 13 programs in the country in the area of law practice, technology, and innovation, which gives you a sense that there aren't enough law schools that are really doing um, much in this space. But on the particulars of what we're doing, so one thing uh, is we're trying to create new courses for students to be able to take, uh, both in the area of technology and innovation. So an example, obvious example would be a course in electronic discovery. Less obvious are courses like project management for lawyers, taking ideas that have been well-developed in the business world, like Six Sigma and Lean Six Sigma, that many law firms are starting to incorporate into their own practices about how they can become more efficient and effective in the delivery of legal services, and exposing students to those ideas so that they can become more innovative. We've got a terrific new course uh, started last year taught by Mark Lauritsen, who is a legal tech pioneer called Lawyering in an Age of Smart Machines, where our students kind of get their hands dirty in developing um, software of their own that can really improve access to justice. We've got Jordan Furlong teaching an intercession course for us this coming winter um, that will be introducing students to various aspects of the 21st century legal profession. So we're doing a, a number of different things to prepare our students for the next generation of legal employment, um, because the way we, we look at it is that uh, law firms aren't the only game in town anymore. Going back to that uh, ABA Journal article, uh, you know, who's eating your lunch? There are other new players out there. There are electronic discovery companies, automated document assembly companies, and we're trying to prepare our students for those jobs as well as the traditional law firm jobs. And I think regardless of which setting you're looking at, whether it's a new job or the traditional law firm jobs, Everyone, I think, needs to graduate from law school today with an understanding of the way that technology is transforming practice and the various ways in which a practice can be innovated. And so in addition to that, and Sharon, you know this well because you use my picture all over the place now, um, <laughs> is that we're, uh, we're experimenting with technology. And so one way I, I thought to do that was to get my hands on Google Glass. So I applied for it uh, earlier this year. My pitch to Google was glass in class. And um, what I've been doing this fall, and, and you know, it was terrific that I actually won, uh, is that I um, wear it in class and students can text me messages while I'm teaching as a supplement to the ordinary classroom dialogue. Because I, I teach a large class, 90 students, and there are many students who feel reluctant to participate or think it might be a stupid question. So now they can text me and, and I get a little chime in my ear that tells me that uh, I've got a question that's come in and I can see it in my field of vision. 
I don't have to pull a cell phone out or anything like that. And I can say to the class, hey, you know, one of your classmates just asked me a really great question, asks such and such. And I can uh, respond to it on the fly. So that's kind of fun to experiment with technology in the classroom. Uh, and then we're, we've developed a, a, mo- a mobile web app uh, that has a variety of Massachusetts legal resources that lawyers can access for free. So in addition to, to everything else, we're trying to have fun with technology and think about modest ways in which we can be innovators ourselves. So that, uh, that's it in a nutshell. How's that for a, a short answer to, uh, to your question? <laughs> <laughs> it may not qualify as short, but it was illuminating. And, <laughs> well, there and, you go. And I really... It's short for a professor. Yeah, well, <laughs> professor. Short for a professor is exactly a good qualification. It, it's a very good qualification. And I do think that you gave people a lot to think about, especially in terms of what your law school is doing, because I, too, uh, fret that law schools are not moving faster. Uh, they themselves tend not to be lean and mean. Uh, and as as the Virginia State Bar President, I've gone around this year and will continue to go around and talking to law schools about the changes in their curriculum. Um, and I certainly I am commending to their attention some of what you're doing at Suffolk because I think it's you're really in the forefront of some of the actions that law schools have taken to reinvent law. So I salute you for that, and I thank you, Andy, for being with us today. It was a wonderful conversation, and I hope that if uh, the folks who are recording this if they would like a picture of you wearing Google Glass to include uh, with some of the publicity, uh, they know where to find me. <laughs> and I'm happy to send them photos of myself as well. That's, that's <laughs> no problem. Yes, no modesty there. No. Th- thank you very much, Andy, for joining us today. Th- thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.